It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. You bum, go fight. <laughs> Mickey loves you. All right, thanks a lot. Yo, Mickey, thanks a lot. Hey, yo, all right, all right. Woo, woo. All right, guys, well, we're having some fun. Hey, how about you guys out there in Facebook land? You think we're crazy? I think we are. We're just a little bit crazy. Um, but it's exciting to see you guys, and we're excited to be here. The last couple of weeks, We've been talking about the fight, and i got to be honest with you right now, I'm out of breath. Just moving around a little bit, doing those punches, I have to take a breath for a second. That's how much of shape I'm in. But, uh, yeah, you know, the fight is something we have to recognize as believers. I know many of you would see and say, does it really have to come to that? But as we saw in the scriptures, it's important to understand that the fight is necessary in our walk with Christ. Because whether, when you're a Christian, whether you believe it or not, when you enter into the ring, you're in the ring for a fight. And whether you want to put the gloves on, do the training, getting it necessary for you to be fit for the fight, you have to realize it's a fight because bearing the name of Christ, you're in it. Whether you like it or not. And Satan is not pushing back and saying, oh, well, let me take it easy on him. Because let me tell you something. Each one of us, he wants to do only one thing. He wants to not simply beat us and hit us to the ground. He wants to destroy us. That's his intention. And that's why it's important for us to recognize that we're in it for the fight. You got to come in ready with your gloves, ready to box, get up on your toes with your rhythm, being able to stand because the purpose of it is not to fall. It's not going down for the 10 count. It's making sure your core is strong and your feet are on your toes and you have your balance and your rhythm, be able to move around to duck some of the punches because sometimes Satan's punching you and he's punching you in the head and he's hitting your back. But you got to get your hands up and ready to jab because if you don't, he's going to take you out, not just for the, 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 the count of 10, he wants to kill you and I, as the Bible says. And that's why we understand, too, when Paul was saying how important for us to fight. You know, I, I was growing up and remembering Rocky and all the different things. And I know when we think about Rocky, some of you are like, wow. Some of you who are young don't even know. But we're about seven, 
seven or so, seven or eight, if you include the Creed uh, sagas, we're about seven movies in. But I have to share something from when it first started. Now, it's not Rocky One, it's Rocky. It's the original. It's the 1976 version of Rocky. And what's important to understand, too, is that I don't know if many of you know the history of Sylvester Stallone and how he started this whole saga and the, the movie, but actually it came from a true story. He was at one of the fights where Muhammad Ali was fighting a guy from New Jersey who was a no-name. And they never thought that he would last one or two rounds with Muhammad Ali, the great one. But this no-name took Muhammad Ali 15 rounds because he kept taking punches over and over. Muhammad Ali was racking him up with punches and he would not go down. And when Sylvester Stallone was at this movie, he wrote up a script. And when he brought it to Hollywood, they said, oh, we got the perfect actor, James Caan. He said, no, either I do it or there's no script. So they gave a chance for a no-name like Sylvester Stallone, who had no movies, except maybe just one, Lords of the Flatbush, but that was it. And they took a chance, and history is written. The movie of the year, 1976-77. But in the movie, in the first one, he was in the last round with Apollo Creed. And he was in the corner. And Mick was there, and he said, hey, yo, Rock, you know, I don't think you're going to make it. He goes, you better not stop this fight. You stop this fight, and I'll kill you. You better not stop this fight. And here he was, cut me, Mick, I can't see, cut me. But here was the cut me, Mick, that now is universally known. Because what wasn't it was the plot behind the whole storyline. It wasn't the remembrance of all these quotes from Sylvester Sloan creating Rocky. It was seeing his character, that he was willing to fight to the end, even if he could not see. He was willing to have his eye cut open just so he can get in one more round. He was willing to go through the pain, the anguish, because his body was already mangled from Apollo Creed, and he fought. How many of us, when we have to realize that when we're in the fight, we have to be willing to fight to no end? We have to stand in there because Satan is going to attack us, and he will keep pushing and fighting and attacking us. And we have to be willing to have that place where we will never throw in the towel. See, a towel is used every day. We use this to wipe our hands after we have cleaned our, our hands. Um, we use a longer towel when we come out of the shower or the bathtub. And a towel is a friend. But for the fighter, it's kryptonite. If a fighter sees the trainer... And where Mickey just threw me the towel, if I see this towel, it's going to be like kryptonite. I don't want to look at it. But that towel's always in play in case I'm getting mangled in the ring and the trainer has to throw in the towel to end the fight. Because I know this will end the fight. But for the believer, this should be the same. This should be kryptonite. We should never throw in the towel. Never think about throwing in the towel. Which, what is once a friend is no longer a friend. I remember when I used to caddy around the golf course, two loops. I'd run around about 10 miles after two loops. But I would, this would be my friend, wet down because it was hot. And I would just make sure I was cooled off to be able to walk 10 miles with two bags on my shoulders. But this one should never be my friend when it comes to my walk with Christ. I should never look to a towel because if I ever think about throwing in the towel... 
then I'm done. See, Paul, what I love about Paul is Paul never allowed his pride, his reputation, but he always had the tenacity to be able to move forward. What was Paul's priority? What was his passion? What was his perspective? Listen to some of the scripture, just one particular scripture that I highlight, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And it says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. See, the word love there is in the Greek, which is a perfect tense. And it simply carries the word love as one who's had longed for. There's a passion. There's a tenacity. There's a willingness to fight no matter what. Never giving in or giving in to dropping in that towel, but fighting no matter what. Because he knew, Paul knew, and you and I should know that God longs for us as we should long for him. That he loves us. But too often what happens is, this isn't for the Christian, the roundabout Christian who necessarily has an expectation of a Christian's attitude of apathy. Never to have identification with the world or love for the world. Just as a few verses later, Damas, who was one who loved the world. In verse 10 of that same chapter, it says, Damas was a close associate of Paul, and he wasn't willing to fight anymore. He loved the world. He became apathetic. He, was, he utterly abandoned the faith. He threw in the towel. He said, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. How easy that can be for us if we're not willing to fight. How easy it's for us to understand that our adversary doesn't really care that he wants to destroy us. He wants to kill us. He wants to ruin our marriages, ruin our relationships. He wants to ruin our impact for the kingdom of God wherever we go. He wants to ruin everything. And he doesn't just want to stop our impact. He wants to destroy us. And that's what we've been talking about in this whole series about fighting. Because he's an, he's an accuser, he's a deceiver, he's an, a liar, he's an enemy of God, and he's an enemy of the believer. Who will continue to pound and pound and pound and pound until he penetrates and plays the mind games. Remember we talked about that. And he'll continue. And just when you think things were safe, dun, 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 he comes and he attacks again. Or if you want a little break, you want a little break and just kind of sit back and relax a little bit. That's when he attacks. My wife said to me the other day, she goes, did you realize you were downstairs for seven hours after church? I said, no, I didn't. Um, the Yankees were on and the Rams were on and Giuseppe and I, we watched a, a movie together. So we had some time together. She goes, yeah, but you were really taking a long break down there. I said, well, it's not too often I get the Yankees and the Rams together. But the idea is that even in my times when I want a break, that's when Satan is attacking. And we have to never, ever, ever throw in the towel. We should never do that. So how do we resist this? How do we resist throwing in the towel? One way we have to do this and throwing is when we can resist throwing in the towel, when training becomes our priority. Training becomes our priority. Let me explain. We're in chapter 6 of Ephesians. We've been talking for four weeks in Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 17, it says this, And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Now we understand there were six pieces of the armor of God. And now this is one particular piece that's actually on the offense. And the sword, as you would think of, would be something of, of a defense, but it's really for offense. So there's five different swords that the Roman soldier would have. The first one was a sword that was extremely heavy, long blade. It was mostly for appealing of looks, but when they would fight in the earlier years, it had to be a two-handled sword because it was very heavy. So it was difficult to pick up and move around. So what they found out is when they were fighting with this blade, picking up, they couldn't use any of their other defense mechanisms. They had to hold on to that sword. And they found out, unfortunately, they found out in a bad way because they were defeated often. And so it's important for us to understand that that first sword, although looked nice, wasn't very helpful. The second one was 17 inches long, two inches, two and a half inches wide, much lighter, more popular. But yet, at the same time, they still didn't find themselves saying this was the sword we had to use. So they went on to a third one, which is like a dagger, small little dagger that was sharp. But what happened was, unlike the first one, it was, sharp, it was shorter, they would it would be an opportunity for them to hide it in the outer garment to pull it out and to stab someone in the heart. So it would be like one movement. It would be flexible and they would be able to throw it into the heart. Now the first one that I mentioned, it was long, but one side was sharp and the other side was dull. And as they looked at each of these swords, they recognized that they needed to be sharper. So they tried to do something smaller and lighter and more movement, but it was like a fencing sword, and that didn't really work out until they got to the fifth one. And the fifth one was going back to what the third one was, which is shorter, but yet it was like a two-edged sword, as the scripture speaks of, razor sharp on both sides. So when the soldier used it, they wouldn't just stick it into the organ or the heart or the different major organs. They would twist it. And as they twisted it, they would pull it out, and everything obviously would follow. So the idea was they weren't just looking to kill you. They were looking to twist it and destroy you so you could never fight at all. You're done. That's kind of like Satan. Satan is doing the same thing. He's got that dagger with the two-edged sword, and he's going to stick it in and twist it because he doesn't just want to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And that's what he does. That's what he's doing. And see, the key point of it is that that's what's happening with our relationship with God and our opponent, Satan. He wants to destroy us. So when we think about the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God, we have to look at this passage with other passages in mind. Because the Word of God, the Word of God, and the word word actually has two meanings in the Greek with two words. One is logos. And the other is rhema. But in here, as we look at Hebrews 4.12, we recognize that it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, and of joints of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. So what that is, is that word logos, word, is different from John 1 that identifies Jesus and personifies him as the divine word, the actual God who comes into flesh. This word in the Greek means a message. And the message, the word of God, is the truth. 
the gospel. And so we understand that too because in Hebrews 4, verse 2, just a, 10 verses prior, says, For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. The word message is logos. And so the idea is that here is the word of God that comes in the intention of judging us. So the word of God coming out of the mouth of God, like even if Revelation chapter 1 verse 16, Jesus with a two-edged sword, it came out of his mouth because it's the idea of judgment. But what the word of God does, it rebukes us. Now watch now because 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 comes into play. The word of God comes to reveal our inadequacies, our faults, our sins, our shortcomings. And it rebukes us, it exposes us, it reveals sin. But at the same time, what it does is the word comes to heal, give us peace, give us joy, allows us to grow. So he doesn't leave us there to just simply rebuke us. He comes in, the word of God comes through the message, through Jesus himself, through the spirit, comes and heals us. And so the idea is that the word of God comes when it says the sword of the spirit, the word cannot come without the spirit. There's no effect of the word of God in and of itself. It's words. So when you and I are being trained up as a priority and we're studying, we're meditating and submitting to the authority of the word of God, it comes through the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And he is accomplishing a great work in us. But as we do that, we can never think we're better than someone else. We can never think because we're studying the word of God that we're actually better than the person who's not studying the word of God. Because if we're in the word of God, then when we're in the word of God, it should be changing us and making us humble, teachable, available. It should make us one who's vulnerable, confessing sin, forgiveness of sin. It comes to where God is instilling us a joy that comes from it. If you're spending time in the word of God and you're arrogant and prideful and stuck on yourself and you have a defense mechanism saying, I know the word of God, I'm an apologist, I'm going to tell you what the faith says, but you're doing nothing about it, then what are you training in? The boxer that's in there fighting, he would never enter in the ring without training appropriately. And when he's training, he's doing all the exercises necessary to withstand the pain in the core when he's getting punched in the stomach or in the head. He has to withstand all of that, all the mechanisms of being able to get in there to fight the good fight. But you and I, when we're fighting the good fight, it's not what we know, but it's how what God does with what we know and transforms us and gets us to be more like Christ. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Paul says this, because our gospel came to you not only in word, logos, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. See, that's what it was. It was transformation, change, a movement that's happening. But let's go back to Ephesians 6, 17, when it says the word of God. That word there, the word of God, is not logos. It's rhema. And rhema, you would think of in being a charismatic movement because people say, I just got a rhema from God. God, give me a rhema. Give me a word. Give me something. That's not what it's saying here. What Paul is saying is that what you're trained in, that's what you're standing in, 
You need the word of God. See, it was the oral word of God that came to be written, the special revelation. But the word of God and the idea of it is that it's a rhema is an expression or a statement of any kind. But in this case, rhema is the very word of God. When you're trained up in the word, God reminds you of what you've been trained in. God reminds you of the promises of God. God reminds you of, of his word and the scriptures. God is instilling you through the power of the Holy Spirit to move. And then when he does, then you're able to fight. So when you're in the boxing ring and you have the confidence and you get a rhema from God, you start jabbing with confidence. You don't cower and go into the corner or go, oh, Satan, is that okay? I just... I'm going to hit you right there. You can, you can hit me back. No, don't hit me back. It's not that. It's standing up tall, getting on your toes, core strong, ready to jab him and moving, moving and jabbing, getting around from him and hitting him when he's not looking. What are we going to hit him with? The word of God. That's where the promises come. But how many of us, I hear all the time, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, Lord. I'm ready to go. Are you? Am I? Because if I'm ready, if you're ready, what are we doing with our time? So I think it comes down to this. We value what we spend time in. And if we're really believing that training is a priority in the word of God, we got to get our sword. we got to place it right where it's supposed to be. The sword was placed right around the loin belt, the loin belt of truth. So the truth of the word of God Along with the sword is a rhema. So you got the truth of the word of God and rhema. Truth of the word of God and rhema. God is pulling it out, saying, pull out your sword. Remember what I said to you? Remember the scripture? Remember what I promised you? Then when you get that, you go, wow, there's a confidence in saying, God's told me to do this because I heard from the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's called me to do that. There's nothing mystical. It's through the word of God. But the training has to come in the word of God and through prayer. Two, we will resist throwing in this towel when transformation becomes our passion. Transformation becomes our passion. Look at Ephesians 6.18. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. The idea of praying in the spirit is saying that I'm in tune with the Spirit through the Word of God, and when I'm praying, I'm praying in accordance to. I'm praying with my supplications, meaning my needs. The word supplication means I'm looking to God for my needs to be met. Even when we don't understand, when we're groaning, when our gloves feel like they're 100 pounds, when our legs are rubbery and we can't move around anymore, and like me, moving around for a couple of minutes and I'm so out of breath, and it's like, wait a minute, okay, hold on, what's happening here? God gives us the strength, but I'm groaning inside saying, what am I going to do? I can't let my opponent see that my legs are rubbery. If he does, if I let my hands down, boom, 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 I'm down. But if I keep saying, God, give me the strength, I got to stand on my toes. Make my hands weigh five pounds right now instead of 100. God, make my legs strong and move around. Make me like a young boy again. If we pray and we ask God to get us through that, then God is doing it. But it's only through the Spirit of God. See, transformation is God's desire is to transform us into the image of his son. Even in Romans 8, 26, 27, it says this, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us groanings to the deep, deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it's God who intercedes. It's the Spirit of God who intercedes and Jesus who intercedes to the Father on our behalf when we're praying in supplication, when we're groaning, when we're hurting, we're in pain, we can't fight anymore, we don't have the strength. We say, God, we need you to stand in. There's no pride or reputation. I have to do it in my own strength. It's God, I need you to do this or I'm not going to make it through this fight. In fact, we can't do it. The armor of God is not for us to have our own strength, but God provides the armor of God so it's his strength through us. So then there's no pride, no reputation, no worry about whether I can do it or not. I can't do it. Right. You can't do it, but God can. You can't do it, but God can. And that's the attitude that we have to have because God wants to transform us. He wants to teach us. He wants to get us to be conformed to the image of his son. In fact, a couple of verses later in verse 29, he says that's the purpose of the believer, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And then in verse Thessalonians, he says this, and you became imitators of us. Of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, it's through the oppression, the tribulation, the distress is when the Holy Spirit's working in our midst. It's through the struggles and the trials and the difficulty that God is working in us and through us. You know, I looked up a, um, a little, just a little article, short article on transformation of what a larvae would look like in a cocoon before it becomes a butterfly, the metamorphosis. And what they noticed is that in, in this particular coon, cocoon where, where the larva would stand and sit, that in that process as the cocoon is going to re remove, be removed and then the butterfly be set free, the cells will die. And as the cells will die, it, it's a natural process. It happens in due time. But what's happening is as the cells, they're dying in and of itself. They're imploding. And then it's to be transformed into this beautiful butterfly. But in order for the butterfly to come out, you have to go through a dying process to be transformed. And transformation is necessary in that. Transformation is necessary for that process. It's that transformation where we die to self and God is doing that work in and through us. So the idea is that when we're being transformed, we have to die to self. We have to believe that God is doing that work. A scientist saw that a cocoon wasn't developing to the level where it can die off and pull out. So the scientist, what he did was that he tried to help by cutting it back enough to where the butterfly could come out in its transformation. When the butterfly came out, it was deformed because the scientist was moving in a direction where he said, I caused that because I forced it. It didn't come in and of itself. And so... That's why it's important for us to understand God desires transformation. It's his passion, but it's his work. It's not something we can force. The only thing we're supposed to do is die. Die to ourselves, die to our dreams, die to our agendas. It's got to be about God's agenda, God's work. And so we, 
will resist throwing in the towel when we realize transformation becomes our passion. And third, tenacity becomes our perspective. Let me just share this with you here. As you're looking at 618, you're looking at the end or the last part of it. And it says that, it says at the end, it says keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So the idea is the word, and let me just share this with you. These are two participles in the Greek. And when you have a participle, it has to go back to the indicative in the passage. Well, the indicative that's there in its mood is back to verse 14. So that means that the alertness and the perseverance is not an extra work. And the praying is not an extra piece of the armor of God. What the idea is that is that being alert and perseverance goes back to verse 14 where it says, stand therefore. So when you're alert, you and I are alert or we're persevering, what the Greek is saying here is that to be alert is to be alerted, alertly concerned about, look after, care for. So you're caring for your faith, you're caring for the armor of God. You're caring for, you're attentive, you're spending time. You have this tenacity to want to be more like Christ. And perseverance is this firm persistence in the undertaking. So as you're alert and you're persevering, the idea is to stand in it. It's not an extra work. It's not a work from you and I. It's God's work through us. And again, Paul's trying to highlight that. It's kind of like, it's where Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. And it says this, it's, you have to understand what Ephesians and Colossians, Paul's speaking, there are common, common verses in each of these books. Paul's saying the same thing. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the idea is that in the Greek, what it means for being continually steadfast is to make oneself busy, be busy, engaged, be devoted. Devoted to prayer with thanksgiving. Devoted to following God. So the word prayer there isn't an added work. It's the means by which we have the armor of God. We then surrender to God using the armor of God to fight the enemy. And we're alert and persevering through it. We have a tenacity. See, the word tenacity means to be determined or persistent. Persevering through the doubts. Persevering through the fears persevering through the worries, persevering through the pain, persevering through the inadequacies, through the blaming, the accusing, the deceptions, the gossips, the lying, and the slandering. And so when someone blames me, I persevere and believe God. When someone's accusing me like Satan, I've got to stand forth and be on the truth with the loin, the loin belt with my sword ready to go. I got to be ready to fight and punch him whenever he accuses me with the word of God. The word, the promises of the word that's in me and the rhema that's ready to come up and say, no, I am not going to listen to you. I'm no longer condemned. You can blame me and say I'm not a good enough Christian, but the Bible says I'm no longer condemned. I am who I am in Christ, and I will stand firm to that. And you got to jab. You got to fight back. You can't cower in the fight. And that's what tenacity does. It gets us moving forward. So then now what happens is our perspective changes. We're not doubting and worrying anymore. We realize that our perspective in walking with Christ is now commitment, persistence, sacrifice, dedication, devotion, pain, selflessness, service toward others, the need to pray, train in discipleship, and all-out commitment to bring the glory to God. That's what the fight is about. And then our perspective changes. That's what prayer does. Prayer moves in our midst. And that's what we have to do. 
Because even throughout the book of Acts, that's where it was. They prayed at the upper room. They prayed and shook the ground in chapter 4 in their room. They prayed at the time when they were dispersing between elders and deacons, getting those who had to be dedicated, the seven, for word and prayer. It was a dedication. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, led Paul through the three missionary journeys through prayer, through dedication. He had tenacity. And his perspective changed. Why? Because he was often beaten for the sake of the gospel. He never thought about throwing in the towel. This was kryptonite to him. And it should be in our Western American society here as Americans. We're too comfortable. We're too casual. We're afraid to confront things. We're afraid what's going to happen to us. This is not personality driven. Before you sit there and say, well, Bruno, you're a real forceful, aggressive guy that has a strong, extroverted personality. It has nothing to do with it. Let me tell you something. There was a time in my life when I was shy. I came out of the womb, but I was shy. And when I did, I'll tell you, God turned in me a person that says, I'm going to stand for what is right. Because when someone stands, we got to stand toe-to-toe against the enemy, our shoulders back, standing strong, on our toes, ready to get hit in the core for the sake of the gospel. And it's not because I'm telling you because I'm a pastor. I was like this when I first came to Christ. I was more on fire for God when I first came to Christ. But it doesn't stop. We must stand strong. We must stand upon the word of God. We must believe that God has a purpose for us. Tenacity doesn't come from a personality. It comes from the power of the word of God. And that's what God's calling. That's why I believe that our testimony puts the towel away. Because the testimony is what Paul was saying. Listen to what Paul's saying in chapter 6, 19. He says this. He says, and also for me. Now, we got to understand something. He's in prison, in chains. Not in a hotel prison where he gets education, his own bathroom, chills out, gets magazines, maybe be able to do other things, gets good, decent food enough to live. He's in a dungeon. He's in that particular setting. And he can't do it any other way. But this is his attitude. He didn't ask for God to make it comfortable. He didn't ask for God to remove this trial. He didn't ask for God to get him out of the prison. This is what he said. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This is what he wanted. He wanted God to give him a message through his mouth. Remember I said that the word of God, God would come with a two-edged sword, Jesus, as judgment. When God works in us, the word of God that's working in us in Hebrews 4, 12, changing us in our immaterial man, now when God is changing us and gives us a testimony, it comes out of our mouth confessing Christ. And now this two-edged sword becomes even stronger against our enemy. Now we could take the two-edged sword and twist it. Because it's the testimony that when I'm in Christ, no one can tell me different. When God changes my life, when he works in me, then it's, then it's, then it's, that's the testimony. That's when it becomes powerful. Look what he goes on to say. He says this, he goes, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. That word ought, first he says he's courageous and he's bold. He wants a boldness to share the gospel everywhere. But the word ought is a verb in the Greek that's 
the day verb, D-E-I, which is a divine day, means that it's from God. It's an explanatory of saying you must do this. It's not optional. So you and I, as Christians, when you bear the name of Christ, you're in the fight whether you like it or not or I like it or not, and you and I are called to be bold. We're supposed to be speaking the word of God in boldness. Remember when I said in the first sermon, Revelation 12, 11, how did they conquer Satan in the future in Revelation? And they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. That means their lives were not their own. They were bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. If you're bought with a price, it's not about preferences or comfort. It's about a commitment to fight. God's called us to fight. I'm in this ring wanting to be comfortable. I'm in this ring wanting my hands not to feel 100 pounds. I only want to go as far as I want to go. God didn't say that to me. Paul was a man with great tenacity. His testimony was strong. He was beaten to no end, but he stood strong for the sake of the gospel. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And that's just a glimpse of what he went through. We need this kind of tenacity to fight in our society. We need this kind of fight against the enemy. We need this kind of fight. We've got to fight for the sake of the gospel because many people need to know Christ Jesus, and we got to get outside of these four walls. Let me tell you something. Don't limit your faith inside of these four walls. Let me say it again. Don't limit your faith inside of these four walls because you'll miss out on what God can do. God wants to give you and I a testimony that will stand the test of time to be able to make a difference for the kingdom of God. But it's time to train. It's time to be about transformation. That means change. It's time to have a spirit of tenacity. And let's ask God to give us a testimony. We got to fight. Never, ever, 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 ever think about throwing in the towel. Never think about it. This is kryptonite. We're putting it away but we're going to stand strong for the kingdoms. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us as this sermon series is one that we have to remember because we know that we're in a spiritual warfare. It's not just because we're living in a society and a culture where there's many things that are happening around us all around the world because of an invisible virus that seemed to stop us from doing what we wanted to do. But, Lord, it didn't stop Paul to speak freely of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It didn't stop Paul with his tenacity. It didn't stop Paul to make a difference for the kingdom of God. It didn't stop Paul to say, I still have a testimony. And I pray, Lord, that you would build in us the training that we need, not just reading scripture, but asking God that you would transform us. And then, Lord, pray that that would bring forth a tenacity of fighting no matter what, never giving in the towel, never throwing it in. God, help us and be reminded that we have a testimony and help us to be bold to speak it so that we can be freely to speak it accordingly. Father, we love you. We surrender our lives to you. And we ask that this week you would help us to be trained in it. In Jesus' name, amen.